Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. My name is Phil. Joining me as usual, I've got my co-host, Rohan. How's it going? Good. And today we are joined by two guests. First up, the Commander-in-Chief, I guess, Paulus. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? And would you say your number one, Pascal, who created Hass.io, has been on the podcast before. Welcome back, Pascal. Hey, guys. Nice to meet you again. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. So today is the birthday of Hass.io, and I thought we would do a celebratory birthday special for you guys. So Pascal, congratulations on another year of Hass.io being out there. How many years is Hass.io out there now for? Thanks for the congratulations. I think two years. Yeah, the time goes so fast over. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's really cool like to see that it's still going on. And this year's been pretty impressive with the features like Ingress coming out and all that. So things are not slowing down as well. Yeah, and it will go faster because, yeah, I'm heard by Nabucasa. And I have time by side to work on Home Assistant. Yeah. To to work also in Hasayo and move really fast forward. That's that's really cool. Yeah, the ingress feature has been really nice because it's all of a sudden it becomes so straightforward to integrate things. Like you install it, it's there. You click a button, it's in the sidebar. And then all of a sudden there's no configuration to be done to make it really part of your system. It's it just integrates. Right. It's it's have you have you guys heard any feedback in terms of Hey, this is fantastic. We love it, blah, blah, blah. And then here's what we kind of want to do going further. And and are those some things that you're looking at as well? I think the big thing that we want to do next is kind of more do like discovery related things where if you plug in a decon stick, we can suggest a decons add-on. And we already have that when the decons add-on sets up, the decons integration is loaded. So we kind of like trigger discoveries all the way and really guide the user into setting up uh, the right integrations and add-ons right 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 yeah the, the whole hardware part is very static with docker but we found some solution and uh, yeah it looks very good that we can change that in the future that we have really a, a dynamic hardware handling so you put the stick in it showed the correct add-on or discovered the correct integration on home, home assistant or, uh, yeah, he restart the add-on if you put it, uh, a, a USB stick out and so on. Nice. Yeah, that's okay. really cool. And so I'm guessing that's where you're thinking of maybe for the next year, that, that'll be the, the focus of getting, you know, a hard, like a, a tighter hardware integration for Hass.io and, and Home Assistant in general. Yeah, in general, the hardware, <laughs> a lot of users are, yeah, are faced with a problem that the hardware is, or the hardware support is really, yeah, annoying with Docker. So, mm. uh, you, right, it, it's uh, it's very hard to to change hardware or to plug a new hardware in. You reboot and the de- uh, device was renamed, and you need to discover oh, oh this device has no uh, one instead zero in the device name and so on. And yeah, there is a, a lot of, of features, and we try to to bring these features from Linux system into Docker system and yeah, make that a lot usable. 
Interesting. Are there are there a ton of people doing this kind of stuff with Docker, or because I I can see that being pretty niche, like in the sense that not a ton of people are doing like like these more advanced kind of use cases it, using Docker. Docker is yeah, most used uh, or mostly Docker is is uh, static, but it's no problem because. I create a Docker or I create a Docker Compose or use Kubernetes and I have a fixed environment and I know how this environment will look like. But Hasayo works on so many devices and so many environments and changing environments. So the normal Docker handling with hardware is nothing what we really can use. So... A few weeks ago, uh, I had to fly down to San Diego for a work event, and uh, I actually got to meet up with uh, Paulus for the actually the first time we've we've talked to each other quite a few times, but we actually had never met until uh, a couple of weeks ago. So um, I had a, I had a great time, and and Paulus, thank you for for hosting us, and uh, you know we did we did a quick little meet up there too, just you know grab some pizza and beers or whatever and and uh, and hung out. It was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like we we I think we had like five six people there and we just you know talked home assistant we were like there was like one fairly new user so we were even able to like you know kind of experiment ideas of him of like hey what 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 concepts does he understand or what concepts does he like not understand and we were like making some mock-ups with like stickers trying to like hey how should we <laughs> move around the ui that was it was really yeah, nice it was a lot of fun i also i also got to empty out Paulus's sticker stash so it's oh uh, that's awesome <laughs> that was oh, great jealous. yeah 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 i've got i've got one on uh pretty much all of my laptops now. <laughs> i need also some new stickers <laughs> yeah i'm actually i'm, yeah, I'm gonna go. print some new ones i i i'm almost true i, I think i ordered a thousand last time and it's it's time for a new one because the on the back the URL is without, uh, it's just HTTP and not HTTPS. So, right. oh, yeah, no, it's, a big, no. it's a big no-no. Um, so I definitely need to update that. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's always so great because at a meetup, like meeting these people, you know, you know, I talk to people all the time online, either like through calls or a chat, but to meet them in real life, it's just, it gives us a different dimension and it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's and it's so much fun for us too, to interface with users and just talk to talk about, Hey, what are you doing? And it's the same kind of stuff we do on the show, but, but also in real life, right? Cause you can pick and pick, like pick their brains about, Hey, look, I was trying to do something like this too. And blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and, and it's always more fun over a beer too. So that's, that's, yeah. uh, it's always great. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, for people listening here that are living in San Francisco, I was thinking I'm going to be in San Francisco for a day on the August 2nd. And I was thinking of doing another, uh, meetup on the August 2nd. Um, I posted a quick post on the, on the forums, which I'll, uh, I'll make sure the link ends up in the release notes of this, uh, mm-hmm. podcast, but it would be great if people want to, you know, Hang out in San Francisco. That's awesome. I'm so jealous of you guys. Like Northern Hemisphere, it's just everywhere's so close. <laughs> the the entire hemisphere is just close. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like it. Yeah. I've never met Pascal in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we are, like you know, working for the same company. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's funny. funny. We were yeah. a long time together, but we yeah, we never see us in the real life. Yeah. That's right. That's it's right. It's big task on my list. <laughs> <laughs> it's pri- priority number two, right after Home yeah. Assistant One. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. 
But yeah, there you go. So next time, uh, Pascal, Phil, you guys need to you guys need to fly this way. Yeah, <laughs> or we need to fly that way. One of the two. We need to make a release party. That's right. Make yes. a release party. There, there, there we go. That'd be nice. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> of course, on the the home assistant front, we've had you know a lot of big changes. I think in the last couple of weeks, uh, there was also home assistant cast that just got like dropped very like <laughs> suddenly. Thanks, Paulus, for that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was I was playing with uh, Home Assistant, like with the Chromecast. It's been like this thing has been on my to do list since forever, right? Like, I think one of the f- first integrations into Home Assistant, like five years ago, was the Chromecast. I reverse engineered the first generation protocol, uh, which is based on WebSockets. And then they changed up the protocol when they got more serious, when they changed to like Protobuf. And we reverse engineered that too. Um, and ever since then, I had this like, oh, I should build, really build like a, a cast application for Home Assistant because I know that we can send messages back and forth from the Python side to the Chromecast. And that way we can, you know, plug up stuff on the TV when things happen, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But then I, it just always, it never became the number one priority. It was always like on my to-do list and, but it just always got pushed backwards and backwards. And now uh, Frank was showing me something he saw on the forums uh, that people were using to cast like other websites to the Chromecast. And I was like, I should just give it a spin. And so I started working on it and I was able to reuse a lot of our existing infrastructure from our front end. And so I was able to use like our authentication tokens. I was able to reuse Lovelace. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it became actually super easy. So I just had to define a few messages that we wanted to send over. And so now the application will load the front end will send over a token so that the home assistant cast can connect. And then we can just send arbitrary Lovelace configurations and those will be rendered. And I, I didn't want to go all in with like showing the full home assistant UI because I think that people want to have, it's a different use case, right? Like if you have a, a Google Nest hub, it's a small device. It just has like, you want to do some right. quick interactions. You don't want to have all the tabs, all the buttons, the sidebars, the configuration panel, dev tools, all that stuff is not necessary. I really wanted to go for like a minimalistic approach, yet I still wanted to offer the full power of Lovelace because I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Like we have this great configuration language um, uh, setup now and people have been building all this cool stuff. And so be able to reuse that is really going to be like, you know, going to jumpstart Home Assistant cast UIs, I think. Yeah. Some features need also time, so <laughs> uh, it's good that uh, Paulus uh, take it uh, later into this trouble because yeah, the front end was for two years not on the point to to make that possible, and now mm-hmm. with Lovelace and all the cool features on the last, um, yeah, it's very easy to or very easy. It's, it's all need work, but <laughs> now we are able to to make this. Work. Yeah, yeah. the The overhaul is already paying off, right? And 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 to your point, Paulus, it's like you know, great Lovelace components. You can use that. A lot of the Home Assistant auth components and this and that, right? So it's, it starts stacking. So which is really uh, really cool. So I, I mean, to me, that sounds like it's validation of you guys made the right choices when you said, okay, let's rewrite the UI component. Let's do rewrite this and that. And so. Yeah, no, it's been really paying off. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of fascinating to see that it's paying off so well. There's so little changes that are actually necessary to make everything work. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's a credit to you guys and everyone planning, you know, and having the foresight to think ahead, okay, let's do it in this way. And now you're really, you know, getting that 
use out of it when it comes down to, oh, what can we do now? Well, here is the use case that we can easily pivot to and apply it to. So, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, exactly. I, I think with Home Assistant Cast, we should be able to, you know, we'll start with Lovelace, but because Lovelace is just a web, people can start rendering whatever they want. And I think it's going to be cool because some people want to have informational things shown on like TVs in their house, maybe. Some people want to build interactive UIs with Home Assistant Cast. Yeah. Maybe some other people will, you know, just the fact that Home Assistant will now offer a very configurable cast display will maybe reuse Home Assistant to show like information in their offices or something, right? Like something completely yeah. unrelated to what Home Assistant is meant for. And because it's all so easy, it, you know, that should be, you know, it should be awesome to see what's going to what's going to happen when we let this lose. So is it available for all like Chromecast devices? So I'm thinking, you know, like the actual Chromecast as well as Nest Hubs and, and anything that is Google Cast capable? Yes, anything that is uh, Google Cast video capable. So Yes, right. There's also the audio. Um, the Chromecast audio actually also works with the browser and JavaScript, um, and but it has no UI. And so... Yeah, I've been thinking about like, do we want like text to speech kind of like build our own app that's always active and ready to play? But I was well, first things first. So I want to first get this one going and see where it's gonna end up. Um, and Isn't the Chromecast audio like they're not selling that anymore though. They're sort of phasing it out. So they're not selling the Chromecast audio as an independent unit, but they're still mm-hmm. every Google Assistant device without a screen has a Chromecast audio in it. So a Google Home, a Google Home Mini, right. they all have Chromecast audios. Right. And, and protocol-wise, I'm sure it's exactly the same as it's well exactly under the, the covers. Yeah. 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 It was actually pretty smart move by Google because the moment they launched, you know, the Chromecast was out for like five years and there was very wide support and, you know, Netflix supported it, Spotify supported it, like all the major players supported it. And all mm. of a sudden the Google Home comes out and boom, it's another target. You can just play your stuff on it. Like every app mm. already had a button play on my Google home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, and I'm going to be a bit selfish here. What, what's, uh, what can we look forward to for anyone that's in the Amazon ecosystem? So I'm personally a lot more familiar with, uh, with the Chromecast protocol, just because I, you know, work with it in the past, um, when I reverse engineered the protocol to integrate into home assistant. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I know that there's a browser, for the Echo Show, but I haven't looked into all the details and their capabilities yet. And so if there is an easy way we can send, you know, have our browser spin something up on an Mm -hmm. Alexa device, it's going to be easy because it will be easy to share the authentication credentials. If it's an app that we have to launch, then we have to go through the login screen, which is not impossible, of course, Um, but it's just a more like having people like type something on the Echo Show. I don't even know if there's like a keyboard available for such cases or how that all going to work. Um, I mean, but if it's possible, we should, you know, eventually we'll build it, I guess. <laughs> Somebody <Right>. will. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, right? Someone's got to do it. Yeah. But you know, then again, the cast has been available for a long time and it's, you know, it took five years for someone yeah, to step yeah. up. Is, is Amazon using, or would they be using a similar protocol? Because... Uh, Cast right now is pretty much a standard thing, right? Like it is a standard thing, but it's a it's a Google thing. So Google owns, yeah. you know, it was Chromecast. So it was yep. literally like this is a Chrome browser, and you just send stuff to it. Yeah. Um, and the, the you have to register your application with Google. So it's not like an open right. protocol where you just 
say, open this website and things work. No, you have to register with Google. Google can ban you if you're abusing the system. Right. Um, and these kind of things. And so hmm. I don't know. So I know that like the Amazon Echo has like Firefox built in. Uh, that yep. how they used yep. to work around uh, the YouTube blocks that uh, Google yep. put in place. Um, but I don't know how how if we can like just have Firefox be there for us. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess Amazon wouldn't want to leverage something like Cast just in case, again, Google blocks them again or does whatever, well, it, right? It, it's not a public protocol, right? So all yeah, the apps yeah. are loaded by talking to Google and getting a Google SDK give you the actual URL right. to load. And, right. and with the Cast protocol, this can support more device as, yeah, only the, the Alexa or Amazon frames yeah, yeah right so there's that other brands sense. that you can support as opposed to just being an amazon only device yeah yeah that's interesting yeah that's uh ho- hopefully we don't get into the situation where you know everybody and their uncle has their own <laughs> quote-unquote cast kind of protocol right which is that that can get a little annoying for developers like yourselves yeah i think i ideally i would have seen would have liked to see a um just generic browser standard Right, that's open. That like mm-hmm. an Alexa could implement, the Chrome could implement, um, but because it requires some work from the browsers to do. Because with, from our code in a website, we cannot just do a network discovery to see if there's any cast-enabled devices and then open like you know sockets to it like just randomly. Um, we need to have right. some browser permissions for this, and it's not there right now. And I I don't think it's gonna come either because you know google already has their chromecast so they're not going to push it apple mm-hmm. doesn't care because they don't have a device that is like has a screen and firefox has neither right yeah you can you can look to, to smart home uh, homes and you see so many different protocols and interfaces <laughs> and yeah so i yeah. was never able to to make a standard for home uh, yeah, home automation device. Totally. It's generally the way everyone wants to be the first one to dominate and create the standards so then they can license it out and, and go that way. Yeah. yeah. And so the way uh, Home Assistant Cast is going to work with like how to define configuration for Lovelace that you're going to send over, it's gonna we're going to make a small change into how Lovelace configurations work because right now a Lovelace configuration defines one well, let's say, let's call it a dashboard, right? And so you have yeah. multiple uh, tabs, like we call them views. And each view has like all these widgets that it's like wants to show. And we're going to make a change in that it's going to be a, possible to have multiple dashboards. And so you can have a dashboard for uh, what you want to show. Like normally when you open the app, you can have a dashboard for when you want to cast to uh, a Google Cast device. And then we're going to have buttons that you can just place inside your UI where you're going to say, when I press this button, start uh, open up the cast menu and then cast this view from this dashboard to the Google Cast. And you can also start showing that view locally. So you can just edit it as normal. You can just develop it. Well, what you see is what you get. Like, you know, you have the yeah. editors, you plug and play, and then you can just send it over to a Google Cast. And because it's all stored in the back end, we will also be able to just send configuration over from uh, from the back end to any cast device in your network. Okay, that's kind of cool. Okay, I'm just trying to picture that. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. at the end of the day, it's really just going to be, you'll see a button and then you press it, just a normal cast experience as you're used to. That's awesome. And then, yeah, and, and you kind of pick your target and just says, yeah. all right, very cool. Yeah. Okay. And I've been trying to reach people at the Chromecast team to see, because right, I did a hack to enable the touch controls and I need to make sure that they're not going to like pull our app. 
Right, uh, right, right. Yes, yes, that's probably yeah. a good idea. You can use the, the um, Lovelace card for video, for live video? Um, I've been playing with it, and I couldn't get it to work just yet. So I don't know if there are some special tricks to get video to play, because it's a bit more integrated video, because they have, you know, they do like picture-in-picture picture and all these kind of different things. But it yeah. should be possible, because I see the the YouTube app has advanced video uh, controls inside the Google Nest Hub. So if Nest can do it, we should be able to do it. However, not all pieces of the API might be all public or documented properly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Unless unless you do something like you translate it to GIF real time and then <laughs> well, send we, that across. We actually did do that in the past where we would convert it to an MJPEG stream, yeah. which is li- literally just jpeg picture jpeg picture and the browser knows that when the next picture comes to replace the old picture so you get like the idea video but it's yeah. very inefficient because there's, yeah. none, there's no normal video stream has these comp- compression tactics where it will send uh, the difference between the current and the next picture and so that's when yeah. it knows how to build up the next picture and then every so many pictures like 16 it will send like a keyframe which is a full picture again and then it starts sending diffs um and with mjpeg there's no diffs you just send full pictures all the time and yeah so it's a lot more bandwidth intensive yeah and, and it also requires a lot of uh, cpu power right because you need to read yeah. in the video stream and like transcode it and so yeah we've been with our current approach to video streaming is that we only have to repackage it so we take the stream that comes in as uh, RTSP and we repackage it as HLS, which the, mm-hmm. it's pretty much that the way it best described is that like you get all these boxes into your house, you unpack it, put the content exactly as is into new boxes, and then ship it off. Remox. So we don't actually change the content. Right. And that makes it uh, uh, very efficient and be able to run on a Pi easily. So, so then HLS is pretty non CPU intensive, let's call it. Like, it, it, as in, it's, it's pretty friendly for. R- yeah. relative to using something else, right? Um, maybe 10%. Yeah. HLS is, uh, because it's just the way it's packaged. It doesn't, we don't have to like change the, we don't have to change from a video stream to JPEG files, for example, that we send off. Right, right. Yeah, so it's very efficient. It it, it needs to resource, so maybe 10%, but if you transcode full video stream, you need maybe 60%. Yeah, yeah. Per user. Yeah. Yeah, and running that on a Pi would be... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the Pi 4 is a lot faster. We haven't done any benchmarks yet, which we'll probably yeah. do eventually once we have Hasseo running on it. Today, yeah. today the, I see the first patch for U-Boot, our uh, bootloader. Mm-hmm. And so I can start to uh, porting uh, Hasseo-S to Raspberry Pi 4. Oh, Ooh, nice. Yeah. That, yeah. Was the current that, that was the roadblock, stopping... Yeah. Like yeah, so that make, yeah, that's great news. Yeah, because what what that what happens is the Raspberry Pi four has its own Linux kernel, and so yeah, all the different parts from HasOS that hook into the hardware system, etc., they all need to be updated to work with the Raspberry Pi four. Yeah, that makes sense. New hardware. Yeah, but we're lucky that the Raspberry Pi is so popular that you know these things generally happen very fast. Yeah. Whenever we have to add support for other hardware that is a bit more obscure, if these things are not available, it makes it very difficult for us to mm. even add support. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Hasuas is an embedded Linux system. So we 
we, we have not only one kernel, we have two kernels and two user space, and that allow us to update uh, real time uh, into the second uh, kernel space and user space. And uh, after reboot, he boot the new kernel. And if that fails or, or if something wrong, on the next reboot, he boot the old kernel from, from the old uh, update or from the original update. And so we are able to make uh, real-time updates without break the device. But wow, that needs a bootloader. Pretty, yeah. yeah, that's actually pretty neat. So we are not a normal uh, Raspbian. They have a single kernel on the SD card and the, the system boot this kernel. We have a real full embedded uh, Linux environment on HasoS. And so we can make a full update over over the air. Wow. Nice. Yeah. That's actually pretty impressive. That is also the different to <laughs> yeah, to Raspbian. <laughs> and yeah, our yeah, yeah. and our root system is read only, so there is no yeah, we we, we help the, the lifetime of the Astercard because every write access are blocked to the root system. Mm, which yeah, which I think people will appreciate their SD cards lasting that little bit longer. <laughs> That's right. So apart from that, like what what's going on with uh, Home Assistant in general? I guess it's uh, middle of the year and and all that. How are you guys tracking? I think has one point coming along, Paulus. It's um, <laughs> it's it's coming. I uh, it's not going as fast as I would want, and I think the biggest challenge is that it requires a lot of front end work. And yeah, yeah. Basically, the there's not many people working on the front end compared to like the back end, and so mm-hmm. you know this work needs to be done. But then we're also just you know the general like contributors they want to have their stuff code reviewed and merged into Home Assistant. So you know we're still working and like getting our code reviews, like our you know the the time that the code review takes like get lower. We're like automating more chores. Like Pascal's done a lot of automation around our release cycle recently so that like we just tag a beta now and you know it will be published without us having to press any buttons anymore Mm. and so we're just trying to streamline the way we work and you know one of the reasons we increased the the release cycle from two to three weeks was that we were able to actually get more work done ourselves because with a two-week release cycle we were managing the beta then we were managing hot fixes and then it was time for the beta again and it just hardly gave us like breathing room and it was great in the fact that like we move very fast but we move very like wide like we got all these like integrations and features that are not per se related to the core but are cool for a certain group of people but with home assistant 1.0 our focus is to really make the core very user friendly so that people will you know more people can use it and it's uh, easier to use and you're less likely to break your system so right one of the things we're actually introducing in home assistant 0.96 is a so-called advanced mode and so advanced mode is a ui only feature that if it's disabled it will hide certain um, features from the ui that normal users like non-advanced users wouldn't use and they're mainly Mm. related to configurational yaml so advanced mode is allows you to show the customized configuration panel it shows you the reload Uh, configurational YAML groups uh, or automations uh, buttons. And all these buttons will be hidden uh, by default. And if you're like at the places where they used to be, like if at the bottom of the configuration screen, there will be like a small piece of text, like 
missing configuration options, enable advanced mode. And then when you enable advanced mode, it's like a per user option. So you can enable advanced mode for yourself, but like other users in your home that are using Home Assistant will not get it, uh, use advanced mode. Um, and then, but you can use the advanced features. Sort of like a, an admin and user sort of relationship. An admin can go in and re- reload the configuration, whereas a user that doesn't need to care about that can just go ahead and, and play with the, turn the lights off and on. Well, actually, this is inside the administrator group as well. There might be people that don't want all the fancy stuff and uh, and just want to use the user interface. So right. as an administrator, you're not by default inside admin advanced mode. You're just in right. normal mode. Okay. Yeah. And then you can enable advanced mode if you're like really want to get into the nitty gritty of all the system details. Right. So if if I don't if again if I'm if I'm a non technical like I don't want to learn YAML I don't want to do any of that stuff I can just hide that stuff dump it away and I don't have to deal with it un- unless there's something really wrong or something v- missing that I need to where I need to fill the blank in right right yeah. and we're really working to make sure that you know that what you're explaining of like now I really need configuration with YAML, that that will not be necessary. Um, so for example, the core configuration is now the set during onboarding, and you can change it on the fly. And yeah. that was actually the last part that is still, you know, re- relied on configuration with YAML. And so now by allowing that to be set, uh, you know, on the fly, people don't need configuration with YAML anymore if they want to start using Home Assistant today. I don't, right. I still think we're not, like, we're not, just because of that, we're like user friendly and we're like ready to go with like Home Assistant 1.0. But this is definitely a major milestone. Fair, yeah. And 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 in your opinion, and again, obviously, we're not going to hold you to this, but how how far away do you think realistically 1.0 is? Like, well, it's very hard to say. Um, yeah. Just because sometimes certain things kind of like pop up that like you know Home Assistant Cast wasn't planned that way yeah. right and so yeah all of a sudden we're having a home assistant cast and it's it's awesome and i think it will be you know the community will love it and so then I, you know we have to balance and like you know i think our main goal and the grand vision is still to work towards home assistant 1.0 but if yeah. other cool stuff comes along you know we're not gonna like postpone that same with ingress <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean i still want to i want to get home assistant 1.0 out this year okay um and i think my initial goal was to be on our birthday in September for Home Assistant, but I think that's too optimistic at this point. Fair. Okay. But the, the goal is to make Home Assistant more user-friendly, and that was also the the, yeah, the goal of, of Hasayo, mm-hmm. to, to give yeah. a Home Assistant to, to every user. They also have no knowledge how you need to set up a Linux machine or so on. And it's not like a, an easy task, you know, it's not like you can just go, oh, yeah, we'll just, you know, sp- spend a release and, and fix up the UI, the UI. Like, it's a really big, yeah. like, task It's a big well. undertaking, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we've been we've been lucky that we've been getting some help in the form of just mock-ups recently as well. Like, we had some people that are thinking about the UI and, like, creating mock-ups. Yep. Because it's not, you know, we can't just expect a person that wants to contribute to Home Assistant to first think of, of like, useful UI change it all around, then open a pull request and implement it. That's a lot of skills we expect from a single yeah. person. Um, and so there are people out there that have skills in building UIs, and there's people that have skills in designing UIs. And so, you know, having to see this collaboration come to fruit is really nice because it really helps 
you know, get work yeah. done. And that's yeah. good. And, that, and that's, you know, people that may not necessarily have the skills to do the, the building of those UIs can at least then contribute some way in the form of design and then hand it over to someone else to actually that can knows how to do the building going, yeah, that looks really cool. Let's build it now and do it properly. Yeah. So, so, so Paulus, if, if somebody was a UI designer, UX designer, and they wanted to help out, what, uh, what can they do? How can they help? I think just, you know, talk to us is step one. So in the desk front end channel, I mean, we're always hanging around and, you know, people are, there's like things that we want to have designed, but then sometimes we get designs, we just don't have the time to implement it. So there's like some pending designs for like the integrations page. And, but yeah, just hang out in the desk front end channel is like the good first step and just, you know, talking to people and like seeing what's going on. And, and then the other, I mean, we have this challenge that everything we build for our user interface, we want it to work on mobile yep. and we want it to work on desktop. Mm. And it means that we can't always do all the fancy stuff like, Drag and drop is pretty hard. We still like drag and drop on the web is just pretty hard if it comes also with touch together. And so we're, that's something that we're kind of like working around right now, but maybe sometimes at some point we probably just have to bite the bullet and actually, you know, fix it because it's, uh, it sometimes drag and drop is the right approach for user interfaces. Yep. yep. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And the other point would be <laughs> the mobile app. So. The user interface is sometimes also embedded to do mobile app and mm. need to also be spin up. Yeah, so you, you don't yeah. want, if someone's using the iOS app, they don't want to all of a sudden be thrown into something that can only be used by a keyboard and mouse. Yeah, well, it's even like the biggest challenge on mobile web is just, you know, when the keyboard pops up, half the screen is gone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So any live preview is gone. Like there's no space for it yeah. anymore. You just have like pretty much the text box. And, um, and so that's, that's the biggest challenge. I think it's just like how all of a sudden you have almost no screen real estate and how can you still make it a useful thing? Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So do you have a, uh, I'm guessing this is more of, you know, for people that want to help out, do you have like a, a repository of where, you have your, I know you've got your GitHub issues, but you have like a repository where you've got your people that may have designed something and, and sent some screenshots. Have you got, apart from in the Discord, have you got that listed somewhere where people could go and, and look and see if they can contribute to? Um, Not really. Like we have a Home Assistant 1.0 project mm-hmm. board where we kind of keep track of issues that we definitely want to fix before Home Assistant 1. We have a front-end project board of things that we should probably fix. Um, and mm-hmm. Some issues there have like some screenshots kind of things, but we don't generally like, we're not that organized. <laughs> and I think it's been interesting. I was talking with Frank about this and, you know, it might sound obvious, but the more we write down, the more people will contribute because we yep. have all these things in our head of like how we want it to be. And this is when we work on home system, that's what we're working on. But other people don't have this view. They need some more mm. guidance of like, would this be accepted? Because it would be a waste to create a pull request, do all this work. And then we say, well, that's not the direction we want to go. And this happens still sometimes. And But the people, you know, they don't always talk to or like hang out in the chat all the time because they have other things to do. And so they don't know if they could work on something, if it's acceptable. And so I've actually, we've been writing down more issues just to see if like it helps and it actually has helped. So we should probably also write down some more issues just for for design. But the one, one big challenge we have when it comes to design 
of anything is that you get this kind of like we're a public forum right so anyone can come and stop by and comment and you get like the too many cooks in the kitchen yeah, where yeah if you you're the, or designed by committee where we're trying to solve a problem and everybody is gonna make up a lot of use cases that might never actually happen and you know it's something like well should we worry about this or should we ignore it and then keep it the everything a lot simpler and it's you know sometimes hard to find that balance especially because you know people will just keep commenting like oh no but we need this use case and we need to solve this use case um so that can sometimes be hard with issues yeah fair enough but that work also uh, only for home assist so uh, for us it's, it's it's so complex to develop uh, inside docker environment mm. uh, yeah I try that to write up <laughs> issues, but uh, no one has picked it up <laughs> oh. until by myself. So. Oh, poor Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> Just writing issues. Yeah, they can, come help me, please. <laughs> Somebody, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Frank, Frank has been doing some, he's been helping yeah. out on like doing like add on maintenance on like the core and these kind of things. But yeah, besides Frank, there are not many people that uh, can grasp all the complexity of SAO. Uh, it's a lot of add-ons around, but the yeah, core developers are, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there are not a lot, that's true. But yeah, I try to focus also more user-friendly and we'll try to set up this year a, a network interface for, for SAO so that you can manage your network over the UI. Or, or if you set up a new Raspberry Pi that you can connect your mobile phone with a Raspberry Pi and make the, the first mm. setup of network directly. Because right now, if you yeah, because right now if you get a Raspberry Pi, yeah, I think you have to upload a text file with the the network settings and then onto the SD card. So yeah, having the ability to do that from a, a user interface that would be really cool, especially when you need to change the Wi-Fi password or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That is an ID from Paulus. <laughs> yeah. Science I hear or long. <laughs> but yeah, my task list is also very. very... Um, Paulus and Pascal, thank you so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate your time and congratulations once again for another year around the sun for Hasayo and, and Paulus, 33. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. No, Happy birthday. Belated, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, have a good one. Thanks, guys. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.